Welcome to Chi Alpha. Yes. I'm glad that you all are here. I mean, there's a lot of people here tonight. Y'all showed up for the last one. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, Katie, wherever you are. That meant a lot to me. Um, <laughs> pretty cute. Just, just a little cute. Um, I was cuter as a baby. Uh, but yes, um, as you all may know, I am Jeff Godfrey. Yes, I'm Jeff Godfrey. Yeah. Um, I have some bad news for you all. Um, just a little bit. The first piece of bad news is that I will not be preaching from the ship. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, sorry about that. And the second piece of bad news is that this is the last Chi Alpha of the semester. Yeah, I know. It's really sad. I'm probably going to cry for about three hours when I go home, minimum. But for some of you in the room, this is your last ever Chi Alpha as a WVU student. Um, Nathan, who was up here, it is his last Chi Alpha. And that is sad, and we will miss you. But as a good mama bird, we want to push you out of the nest so that you can fly instead of trying to keep you in and clip your wings. But we are in a series called The Normal Christian Life. And as I said before, this isn't just what it looks like to be the average Joe Schmo Christian that you see walking down the street. This is about how to serve God in every circumstance, no matter where you are in life. Last week, we got to hear a friend of mine, Charles, talk about evangelism. And tonight, we are discussing discipleship. And these two messages really do go hand in hand. So if you haven't listened to his message, please go back and do so. So last time I spoke, I briefly stated that we are disciples. And I'm sure that you've heard the term if you've grown up in church or if you've been in Chi Alpha for a while. But what does this term mean? What does it mean? What does disciple mean? And I think the best way to find out what a term means is to look at the definition. Yeah, yeah learning. Um, a disciple, a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. So, most of you in the room are college students. Yeah. Uh, so, you should have teachers. And if you don't have a teacher and you are a college student, that means that you are not going to class. Um, and if you have a teacher and you respect this teacher, whenever they give you an assignment and they say, yeah, it's been on the syllabus, this is the assignment, this is when it's due, this is what I expect out of you. What is the next course of action that you take as the student? Yes, okay. If you're anything like me, the answer is procrastinate. But no, you do the assignment. Um, when I was a senior in college, uh, I had a five-page paper due in my 400-level psych class, and I procrastinated. I didn't start until the night before it was due. I actually had small group beforehand, and then I started writing my paper 
probably around 10 or 11 p.m. And then I stayed up all night, all night, wrote the paper, probably finished it about 6 or 7 in the morning. And it was a five-page paper, and it was five-page minimum. So I wrote five pages and a sentence. Um, let me just pause and say, this is not what a good student does. Do not be like me. Be better than me. If you are a good, <laughs> yes, be better than me. If you are a good student, then you do the assignment in the right amount of time that it takes to get it done, and you don't just rush through it so that you can finish it. So if you have a five-page paper, you probably think, oh, I should start it at least a week before or maybe two weeks. And if you have a project that's due, maybe take a month to get it finished. Um, if you have, if you are a senior or maybe a junior and you're in a capstone, then you take all semester to finish this project. It's a semester-long project, and the whole class is revolved around finishing this project. So, in order to finish these things, you have to give up things in order to do so. So if you have a 10-page research paper due next week at the end of finals, you don't go home and say, hmm, I think I'm gonna play seven hours of Fortnite tomorrow. And you don't, be like, and you don't think, you know what's a good idea? I'm going to binge watch all of Stranger Things because season three comes out this summer, so I got to catch up. And you also don't think, oh, yeah, I don't have anything going on. I'm just going to hang with my friends. I'm just going to kick it with my bros, shoot the breeze. That is not what you do. In order, you have to say no to certain things in order to say, yes, I'm going to finish the task that I've been assigned. And the same goes when we consider Jesus our teacher, when we say that we are disciples of Jesus. If we say we are disciples of Jesus, then we must also follow the assignments that he gives us. What is the biggest assignment that Jesus gives us? Go and make disciples. The Great Commission. That is the biggest assignment that Jesus gives us. And we're going to look at the verses. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. This is it. It's, this is the Great Commission. And it's called the Great Commission for a reason. Because it's a big task, and it's daunting, and there's a lot that it requires. But, as Jesus' disciple, when he gives us an assignment, and as a good student, we should not only complete the assignment, but set aside the right amount of time that it takes to complete the task at hand. So, what is the proper amount of time that needs to be set aside to accomplish this task? The answer is simple, but the answer isn't easy. 
because the answer is our whole life. As Kaiapha, we say that we want to make lifelong disciples of Jesus. We want to be lifelong learners, lifelong learning from those around us and learning from him. And Jesus wants the same for us. And we know that he wants the same for us because he says it. And he says it in Matthew 4, 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. If you aren't extremely familiar with the New Testament and with Matthew, this is actually the first thing that Jesus says to any of the 12 disciples. And it's also the last thing that he says. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go and make disciples. So from the very beginning to the very end, discipleship is at the heart of following Jesus. And he says, I will go with you as you go and make disciples. So I mentioned that Charles' sermon from last week and my sermon today go together. And I say that because I believe evangelism and discipleship are two sides of the same coin. In order to have one, you have to have the other. In order to truly have one, you must have the other. Yes, Jesus calls his disciples and they follow him. But that isn't the end of the story. That's only chapter 4. That's not the last chapter of the book. There's 24 more after that. They walk with Jesus for three and a half years, and they learn from him. Sean, you can, uh, you can show the picture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> not a baby. Uh, yeah, I'm not uh, super proud of this picture, um, but, but here it is. Many people don't believe me when I say I had an emo phase and I had long hair, um, but here's, here's the proof right here. Uh, a little bit past the emo phase, but the long hair is still there. And if you notice, the man beside me has a buzz cut. And the reason he had a buzz cut is actually because about two weeks earlier, he had dreadlocks, uh, and he didn't like them, so he just shaved them off. Uh, so I wouldn't say that we have the best choice in hair, but he's still my friend. And yes, I show you this picture not because I want to point out um, what I looked like in high school, but I want to talk about the nature of our relationship. And I haven't said it yet, but the guy standing beside me his name is Johnny Vallalonga. I am standing here on this stage because of many people who decided to love me and show the love of Jesus to this long hair, hippie, emo kid. And Johnny Vallalonga was one of the first. Me and Johnny, we had a class together in high school, driver's ed, and and that's where we became friends. And through that, 
Johnny, a few months after um, we become friends, he comes to know the Lord. And he invites me to church a couple times. I go with him and his mom, and it was just us. But after that, he invites me to winter retreat. Not the winter retreat with Chi Alpha, but it was a winter retreat with our youth group. And I thought to myself, I literally do nothing all the time. If I don't go, I will literally do nothing by myself. So I said, yeah, I'll go. <laughs> and whenever I go there, I followed Johnny around like a little lost puppy because I didn't know anyone there. I didn't know a single person there. But even though I didn't know them, I could still observe them, and I could still watch them. And as I began to do this, I noticed something about them. I noticed that the people in the room were friends with each other. And I was like, oh, cool, that's good. But I realized that they loved one another. And I realized that the love that they had was genuine. And I began to understand that I had never seen this love before. And I was like, what is the reason they're all here? And it's a church trip. So the answer was Jesus. And then I concluded that the reason they must love one another so much was because of Jesus. And that is why the verse, by the way you love one another, this is how people will know that you are my disciples. That is why it means so much to me. It is the reason that I know the Lord and that I am saved. Jesus gave up his position to come down to earth, to be a man and to walk among us so that he could die on the cross so that we could know him, so that we could know his love and so that others could know his love and share that love to those around him. And that is why I am saved. But that is not what brought me here. That is not the end of my story. A lot of times when people tell their testimony, they tend to tell how they came to know the Lord and why they are saved. But that is not the end. That is the beginning. And that is only the beginning. If that was the end, then what a sad story that is. I'm not, I'm not discounting the work that Jesus did in me whenever I was saved. That is a miraculous, and I am so thankful for that. Thank you so much for that. But if I say that that is the end of my story, then I am saying that Jesus no longer works in and through me. I am saying that all interaction between me and Jesus has ceased to exist, and we no longer have a relationship. Thank you, Jesus, that that isn't the end of my story. Thank you, Jesus, that it isn't the end of our story. I come back from winter retreat, and me and Johnny are still friends. Um, he walks with me. He spends crazy amounts of time with me, and he teaches me things about the Lord. He lived life with me, and I lived life with him. Johnny... Johnny didn't know the Lord much longer than I had. 
but it wasn't, it wasn't about his knowledge. I knew that it was about his heart, and it was about his devotion to the Lord. I was his disciple, and I enjoyed his company, and I enjoyed learning from him as he learned from Jesus. And there are many things that I learned through being discipled, not just by Johnny, but also being discipled by a community that I became a part of when I went to college, known as Chi Alpha. Yeah. Yes. Woo, Chi Alpha. Um, yes. I learned, I learned how to treat people that I believed had done me wrong. I learned how to be a better son to my mom, who I love very much, and also how to be a better son to my dad, who I have a very strange relationship with. I was taught how to be a better friend. Actually, I was taught how to be a friend. I was taught what it really looked like to be a friend to others. And most importantly, through, dis through discipleship, I learned how to truly love Jesus and how to serve him. And I feel as if in this modern church age, that is somewhat lost. I feel as if all of our focus is just on getting someone to church. And then once they come to church, all responsibility from me is no longer, there is no responsibility from me. All action on my part ceases. And now it is the job of the church and of the pastor and of the sermons to teach them. And I'm not downplaying any of those things. We're literally in a church. I'm literally preaching a sermon. I'm not downplaying those things. But I'm saying if we read the Bible and if we look at what it says, we learn that discipleship is the method that Jesus uses to draw people closer to him. And it is also the method that he wants us to use to draw people closer to him. And also as we look at Jesus's life, there are other things that he teaches us. One of them being that Jesus preached to the masses. The message that Jesus preached was for everyone. For everyone out there, Jesus preached them. But his investment was not in everyone. Jesus realized that he was a man and that he could not disciple everyone that he preached to. He preached to 5,000 people during one of his sermons. He can't disciple 5,000 people. He doesn't have that much time. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. So we must cast our nets wide. Whenever we preach, whenever we go evangelize, we evangelize to everyone. Everyone needs to hear the message that we have. Whenever we do events at the beginning of the year, whenever we do booths or contact table, we are going to everyone. No one is safe. No one is safe. But no one, no one doesn't need to hear the message. It's for everyone. But whenever we look for people to disciple, we look for those 
who are faithful, available, and teachable. And I'm going to say what they mean a little bit. Faithful just means that you are faithful. You come around a lot. Available means that you are able to come to things, that you are able to be around Chi Alpha and someone else. And teachable means that you are willing to take this attitude of a learner and you are willing to learn from those other people in your life. Am I saying that if you don't have these three qualities that you are discounted from the kingdom? Am I saying that you can't be a part of Chi Alpha if you aren't faithful, available, and teachable? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is these people tend to disqualify themselves. If you are not going to be teachable, if you do not take the attitude of a learner, there is nothing that a teacher can do. There is nothing to change that you can do to change that person. They must change themselves. And what, is it, what does it mean to truly be a disciple? What does Jesus say it means to be a disciple? Luke 14, 26 through 30. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What does building a tower cost? Brick, mortar, steel, metal, whatever you want to build it out of. The time that it takes to build the tower, the labor that goes into it, and also the money that you have to spend on the materials. Those are the cost. What's the reward of building a tower? A tower. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's it. And that's kind of dope if that's your job. If you're a construction worker and you build a tower, that's what you're supposed to do. Kudos to you. What is the cost of discipleship? As I said earlier, it is your whole life. When it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, when it comes to making disciples, we must renounce all that we have and count it as loss because building the kingdom of God and being able to be a part of that is better than anything that we can build on our own and in our own strength. We must come to Jesus with no reservations and we must come to him with no reserves. Our own life must be forfeit to take up the call of discipleship. Jesus says in the earlier passage, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
What does it mean to carry a cross? Does it mean, oh, yeah, you know, I got this really jank car, and it doesn't really start. I don't think it has a battery in it at all. Um, the alternator doesn't work. You know, the windshield wipers are kind of rusty. Or does it mean, yeah, I'm in, you know, I'm in this on-again, off-again relationship, and, you know, it just, it just stresses me out all the time because we break up. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sad. And then we get back together, and I'm like, oh, I'm so happy. And it's just tearing at my heart all the time. Is that what it means to carry a cross? No. Carrying a cross meant one thing in Jesus' time. Carrying a cross meant that you're going to die. You are going to die on that cross. The cost of discipleship is high. The cost is death. Death to ourself. And I believe that that is the greatest hindrance to Christianity and discipleship today. The fact that we are not willing to die to ourselves. We care so much about ourselves and our own things, our schooling, our job, our time, that we tend to put discipleship by the wayside so that we can go and get these things. We aren't willing to die to ourselves and our selfishness. We need to get out of our own way, and we need to follow the way, the truth, and the life. There needs to be a genuine following after Jesus. And as his disciples and as someone who learns from him, we must do what he commands. He asks us to carry our cross and to make disciples. But he is also our teacher. So, as any good teacher, he doesn't ask us to do something that he himself hasn't already done. Jesus, out of love, came and died on the cross and shed his blood so that the world can come to know him and have eternal life through him. And we must be willing to do the same. We must be willing to give up our own life so that others can come to know Jesus. Because if we claim to have this God that has changed our life, then we must be willing to go and share that news with others, and we must be willing to bring others closer to him. And the, the band can start to come back up. When I die and I stand in front of Jesus in heaven, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But if I'm the only one there, that isn't enough. I want to say, I am here because of the obedience of Johnny Vallelonga. And then I want to look behind me and see others that say, I am here because of the obedience of Jeffrey Godfrey and the obedience of Johnny Vallelonga. And I want Jesus to say to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want there to be others behind them as well.
The cost of discipleship is high. The cost of discipleship is death. But the reward of discipleship is so much greater. The reward of discipleship is not just one life, but it is many lives that come to know Jesus. And there are other lives that they transform and they come to know Jesus. One life for many. The cost is high, but the reward is so much greater. I'm asking us to set aside our own things, our school, our job, our time, whatever it may be, to carry our cross and to follow the commandments of Jesus to go and make disciples. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm asking, will you lay your life down so that he can give you life more abundantly through him? Salvation from yourself and from sin and hell and eternity with Jesus in heaven. I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the people in this room who have said, yes, I will follow you. Thank you that whenever they received you, that that wasn't the end of their journey. God, thank you that once we were saved, you did not leave us, but God, you come closer to us and you walk with us and you navigate with us through life. God, I just thank you for the students in this room who know you and thank you for the students who, if there are any students here who don't know you, I pray that they come to know you God, just thank you for the sacrifice that you made dying on a cross so that we could have a life worth living. God, thank you so much for what you have done, and I pray that you continue to move in the lives of these students. God, just thank you for who you are, and thank you for what you have done for us. Amen.